Well, hello there. I'm Karen Sander. You are listening to Aging Fearlessly, a program for the over 50s, those uniquely wonderful baby boomers. My aim is to educate, motivate and inspire you to embrace the exciting journey of life for decades to come. So stay tuned to meet a variety of guests who will share their stories and passions to help us gain insight into the ways to live a happier, healthier life. So welcome back to the Aging Fearlessly podcast with Karen Sander. We often feel our lives are complicated. However, imagine being born male and by the age of seven, you clearly identified as female. I welcome to the program today an extraordinary woman, Belinda Zipper, or Belle, as we're going to call her today, an amazing woman with a story that is so inspiring. Hi, Belle. Welcome. Thank you for having me on the show, Karen. I'm, I am really excited because I, I get to speak to so many, this is what I love about podcasting, I get to speak to so many amazing people with stories and I think it's very important to tell stories about everybody. Everybody is unique and everybody has their own story and yours is truly inspiring. So, But I wanted to go back now to um, what year were you born? I was born in 1970. Okay, I was in high school then. Yes. Um, I'm not quite a baby boomer. I'm more Gen Xer, which makes yeah. me very cynical. <laughs> well, I'm so cynical, I don't even know what generation I'm in. Well, the idiom, um, a square peg in a round hole, I was thinking about you this morning when I was sort of starting to put this podcast together and I, I thought that idiom is somewhere you probably found yourself uh, early on in life? Definitely. By around the age of seven, I was, I was born and identified on my birth certificate as male. But by the age of seven, um, I started to clearly see that I was not right, this wasn't right, and that I really was born as a female. And then every night for about six or seven years, I would go to bed and pray, not to a God necessarily, but just pray and believe genuinely that if I thought and concentrated hard enough, that my body and face would transform into that of a female, that I wouldn't go through the dreaded puberty of male puberty. Of course, that didn't happen. And then by around the age of 13 or 14, I felt that I had lost the battle against myself. My will wasn't strong enough and I had failed. Um, obviously, by then, it was into the 80s and I had a lot of guilt and shame guilt about failing that enterprise, guilt about being who I was. And, of course, as many of the listeners might know, being and identifying in the wrong body was not something that was even really talked about much then, certainly not in a positive way. There were no role models that were positive on the media or in culture to represent us. The only role models of being trans, which is the term we use now more broadly, um, were negative. The trans people were portrayed as either panty sniffers on the, you know, st stealing panties off the washing line, <laughs> or, or psychotic murderers in in Psycho. Yeah, and so I just look. It's interesting because I was a teenager in the seventies, and I, I just want to do a bit of history back here. There was a program last year, Love Child, 
on on TV, and it it was all set around King's Cross, but it was it very much showed the thinking, the mindset back then of even young girls becoming pregnant around the age of 15, 16 years of age and how they were taken from their homes and put into institutions. Those children were born and generally adopted out. So that was one side of it. It was so, it just was not accepted, teenage pregnancy, anything like that. So your situation, again, was far more, I want to say different again in people's mindset, is that you you get what I'm saying. It's like it was not acceptable, and that's what I'm saying, like the square peg in the round hole. And you were just saying before, you know, as a teenager then you prayed that you would be different and you weren't. That You know, we talk about our inner child. That must have really hurt you inside. Of course, my inner child was totally wounded and damaged and there are scars to this day of that experience. And back then, there was only the terms were transvestite or cross-dresser, yep. both equally dangerous words to people who identified as that. Mm-hmm. They, they identified you as either just a, a clothes fetishist or yep. someone that was a sexual pervert preying yep. on little boys or something. Yeah. Very bad negative association with it and not only did I see that but I thought well if that's what my I see then my family must see that so yep. therefore if I tell my family I'm like that what what what's what's the frame of reference they will have they will only have a reference that this is bad you're either mad or bad um and that I'd be locked away so of course I hid it from my family and with deep shame for many years I can't imagine what the torment in your own mind must have been because being a teenager anyway is a massive struggle with hormones. It's the crazy time in your life. We're all going through so many changes at that stage in our life. So for you, the changes were happening and you didn't, I guess you didn't want to, you didn't want to be part of those particular changes. No, no. At best, I felt like an imposter. At worst, I felt like a fraud, someone that was cheating the world and lying lying to myself and lying to everyone around me. Yeah. The belief that I would get busted eventually and put in jail or locked up in a psychiatric institution. I mean, gosh, the fear and anxiety. What can you can you elaborate on the what sort of anxiety did you feel? Well, I don't know if this is because of it, but I developed obsessive compulsive disorder. Uh-huh. At around the age of 8, um, I had and still have some very I have mild symptoms now. They weren't obsessions in thoughts. They were just compulsions to do things. So OCD is an anxiety disorder. Um, so I had compulsions to do things, um, not major things, but like maybe touching my finger on my shoulder when I walk or tapping the toe of my foot on the ground as I, as I walked as well. It was quite debilitating for many, many decades. Yeah, I can imagine. And... Belle, I talk about it often. I suffered very severe anxiety in my 20s and 30s, so I can relate to anxiety. It's crippling. It is crippling. OCD was like, it it was like another example of me losing control of my body. Mm. So tell me, you were born in Melbourne, were you? Yes, I was born in Melbourne, in Glen Waverley, an outer southeastern suburb and raised there. I was born into a Jewish family, not religious, but Jewish nonetheless. Yeah. Um, my mother had postnatal depression after I was born. I was the second of three children. 
and she was unfortunately treated very badly and locked up for a while in a psychiatric unit. Oh, my gosh. Um, when she came home and was raising her children, she was very emotionally and verbally abusive. Mm. Um, she had OCD as well but didn't know it. She had high anxiety, strained ritualistic behaviours, and my siblings and I suffered incredible verbal abuse at her hands for many decades. So home uh, was not a place you felt safe? Home was not a place I felt safe. My parents were divorced and my father was very unable to do a lot to help us. So I had in many ways a, an, a distant father and an abusive mother. One question that I thought I had thought of for many years in therapy was, is my transgender identity connected to what my mother did to me? And I don't believe it is at all. Mm-hmm. I have two other siblings, an older male brother, and he certainly is a very help, um, a very comfortable within his gender person. I don't believe that what my mother did has any connection with it. Yeah. But it had a major impact on my life all the same. Yeah, well, so, why, why wouldn't you question these things? It's a human thing to question things in your life and the way you were raised. So school, I was bullied because I was different. I used to hide in the library at lunchtime. Um, And because my mother was so difficult, my siblings and I used to escape into our bedroom to get away from her. We used that we were going to do homework. What did we do in our bedrooms? We did homework. We all became very academic and highly intelligent academic people, particularly my brother and sister. Oh, um, wow. so we're high achievers, high functioning, high anxiety, high functioning people. I have another. I've had another guest on not so long ago, and the same. She escaped her childhood and her her poor her mother's poor parenting again through writing, and she is so academic. She's amazing, yeah. and uh, I think that it happens for a lot of people that they find an escape. They need that escape just to feel to feel comfortable. Yeah. So we've talked about your family and your school life. What happened in, like, teenage years? What, tell me from, like, say, 15, 16 on puberty and, and into your 20s, what was the situation in your life then? I was a very angry person. I was very disappointed in myself. I had a girlfriend when I was living as my male self at about the age of 18 for three years. She was lovely. Um, she still is one of my closest friends to this day, but we did break up after a few years. Then I tried to explore myself as a transgender person in my around the age of 19, 20. Yeah. Um, but I found that society was so hostile to it. I remember being pulled over by the police, stared at, asked questions by cops, laughed at by people in the street, my friends tried to be supportive but took it mostly as a joke. So I quickly gave that up. And what a lot of transgender people do, which is what I did, was to sort of bury it deep down inside my subconscious. And even in a conscious way, though, I said to myself, if I can't live as that person, then I'm going to be the best person I can be. I still was attracted to women as a man. So um, I dated women. I invested my efforts into my career. Um, I travelled overseas a lot. I worked as a creative artist for a while. I nurtured and cultivated my, my mind as much as I could in my worldly pursuits, yeah. um, thinking that I could just ignore 
that other part of self as a healthy functioning man. Yep. Um, that didn't work, of course. Then at around the age of 30, I met a woman who then became my wife, a lovely Christian woman, and we married and had two children who are the sole core of my life to this day, the children. My son is 14 and my daughter is 10. Yes. Um, and I'm totally devoted to them with every fibre of my being. Um, I separated from my wife about seven or eight years ago. It wasn't because I was trans, but it certainly, we, we were just, we, there was just a lot of intermarital conflict. Um, and then the strange thing happened. About two or three years later, about six years ago now, I was walking and my right arm wouldn't swing when I walked. Oh. And I started to get worried. It wasn't damaged. It wasn't injured. There was no vis- visible signs of injury. There was no tingling or pain. It just wasn't moving when I walked. It doesn't sound like a big deal, but I was worried. I went to a doctor and he tried to say it was OCD. And I said, I've read books on this subject. <laughs> I know what OCD is. This is not it. Then he said, maybe it's a, a, a repetitive strain injury. And I said, no, 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 there's no pain. So a few weeks later, I went back to my more regular doctor. And she said, you need to go to a neurologist. This could be serious. I thought I'd had some sort of stroke or had a brain tumour or blood clot or something. I didn't know what it was. But I knew it was something serious. Now, pretty much that day that that the second doctor sent me to, said I should go to a neurologist, I had a dream. And in that dream, I was dressed as a man and I was wearing a suit. But underneath it, I was wearing this gorgeous dress. And I woke, up from, I woke up and said, I remembered that I used to try and live like that. And I thought, how could I have forgotten that? How could I have put that aside for so long and moved so busily through the world without it? And hmm. I said, well, I, I have my children half the time, 50-50, right down the line. And I said to myself, maybe I could explore that a little bit, not seriously, but just for fun, just buy a dress and put it on and see how it feels. Anyway, so this was September 2014. Then in January, I went to the neurologist at the Alfred Hospital in Melbourne and he examined me, a general neurologist, not a specialist. So he wasn't a specialist in Parkinson's, but he said, have you had any tremors? And I said, please don't tell me the P word. And he said, yes, it looks like Parkinson's. Oh my in hindsight, we now know that the, 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 an arm not swinging can be a very, is, is quite a common first indicator. Oh, because you do, you know, we generally know our own bodies and what our bodies do. So, you know, the fact that a doctor was telling you maybe it was OCD, but in your mind you probably knew, no, it's, dif- it's not OCD, it's different to that. He was a lovely doctor, but he had no idea what he was talking yeah. about. Now, Parkinson's is, is, there's a lot to it, of course, but in a simple way, your brain and my brain and the listeners' brains, we all have different receptors in our brains that work yeah. with different neurochemicals. The receptors in our brains that work with dopamine, the ones in my brain are dying off faster than they are in other older people's brains. Mm-hmm. They're always dying off, but they're dying off rapidly in my brain. Dopamine does a few things. One, it, it's a mood regulator, so it can yeah. make you feel happy. Kind of more importantly or more relevant for me, it regulates muscle movement. Ah. And that's why you get stiffness and rigidity and slowness. 
You're so educating me here, Bill. You know, well, I'm going... So, so do, the dopamine, I take a synthetic, medica- synthetic form of dopamine, which can get absorbed by the stomach and then needs to cross what's called the blood-brain barrier, which, as the name suggests, is a barrier that exists to keep the brain safe. But this, this, once my body synthesizes it into, into dopamine, it can cross the blood-brain barrier and give my brain enough dopamine for about two hours. Okay. I take four doses a day and it takes about half an hour to an hour to kick in. So it's not working. I don't have any tremors, but I have slowness and fatigue. Oh. I can still function and do things, but it takes a lot longer to do them. When the medicine kicks in, I'm absolutely normal. You wouldn't notice a thing. Well, it's amazing, isn't it? And look, first of all, thank you for modern medicine because you and I yeah. are living in a time that so many issues can be solved. My mother's 93 and she would not be here without modern medicine because she had bowel cancer at 56 and she's here at 93 and still thriving and all surviving and thriving. That's great for you that um, the dopamine is actually helping you. My lifesaver. Your lifesaver. <laughs> so you were diagnosed with Parkinson's and then you made some big decisions in your life. Yeah. Now, even after about four or five months of this experience of getting diagnosed and having that dream where I was wearing a dress. Can I ask you, um, what colour was the dress? Do you know? Orange. Oh, okay. That's that's actually significant because my first teddy bear was orange and orange has always been my favourite colour. Isn't that funny? I was going to say, was it red? Because red really means power. Um, it does as well. And I'm, I love colour, you know, yes. and I'm a, I'm absolutely colour, colour, colour person. I see something in a shop and it's red or blue I'm in there and I love orange as well. So it was orange and that was your first teddy. So the so significance I, of the dress dream, yeah. The significance was that I came to believe that what was happening was my subconscious self was using the dream to wake up my conscious self that my physical body was under attack and that it was time to start living my life authentically and, in a sense, to use a more contemporary term, reclaim the body that was that I had lost for so many decades but also was now potentially under attack by this disease. Mm-hmm. I honestly believe that my subconscious self was aware. I mean, I was aware that I was diagnosed. But my subconscious self was aware that, this could get worse and that I needed to start living authentically, living true to who I believed I'd always been. My joke is never never trust a transgender person. We, <laughs> Why? Always, we, always, we always go against our promises. Yeah. I, said, oh, I'll, I said, I'll never take hormones. That's not for me. Six months later, I started female hormones. Then I said, oh, I'll never go live full-time. So the term full-time means to live every day in one's gender that one desires to live as, Um, which which is a big step because it means going to work and coming out to everyone in the world as transgender. Um, I said I'll never live full-time because I'd have to wear a wig because I'd lost all my hair when I was a young man. And then I started living full-time. And then I said I'll never have gender surgery. That's, That's not for me. Six months ago I had gender surgery. Only six months ago? 
uh, in July this year. It's elective surgery, and I was one of the last people in Victoria to get elective surgery under the second lockdown. So I was very blessed that I managed to get my gender surgery done this year. So, um, Bill, the hor- can I talk about the hormones? Like taking the medications to help this change happen, we hear about women doing IVF to have children and how difficult that is and plays on their, their mental their mental health, you know, so many changes happening in the body. How did the medication affect you? Look, many transgender people talk of different experiences. For me, I had no emotional differences in taking estrogen tablets or estrogen patches, mm-hmm. um, but there have been obviously some physical changes. Now, I only started the hormone treatment at around the age of 47, so they say there's a couple factors that can impact on what hormone results you get. One is your age. So the younger you are, the better the result. Two is your mother, your mother's physique, your mother's physiological manifestation. So the female heritage in your family will affect what you turn out with. Really? So what it's done is it's softened my skin. It's definitely redistributed a bit of fat around my face. Um, I had a friend who hadn't seen me for a couple of years and then I saw her and she said, my God, you look, your face structure is completely different. So it softens all the skin, loss of body hair on the arms, legs and chest area. Um, It can lead to fat redistribution around the hips, which when some women hear that, they go, oh, my God, don't tell me you get bigger hips. But trust me, when you're a transgender woman, you want a bit of hip. Oh, I laugh at the saying, you know, is it past the lips, a lifetime on the hips? (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, moment in the lips, a lifetime on the hips. But then... For me, the big thing is you can get some breast development. And for me, that's been moderately successful. I've now got somewhere between uh, probably close to a B cup, but not quite. Because I'm still physiologically in some ways male, my rib cage is quite wide compared to that of a woman. So the positioning of the breasts on my body are quite far apart. I joke that it's like North and South Korea. There's a big demilitarized zone in the middle. And they're not they're not talking. It's like it's like Joe Biden and Trump at the moment. They're not talking at all. Oh my god, that that's an image I may never get out of my mind. <laughs> no, I love it. Well, I, I, I talk to, to my boobs and say, Can you just be friends? Just just a little bit of cleavage. Just talk to each other. You 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 you're practically twins. Oh, I I like the way that you refer to these things, and you you know you talk about your body. It's um it's very healthy. <laughs> I'm not making a joke out of it. I'm making a joke with it. So <laughs> yeah. I'm not trying to degrade myself, but we have to have a laugh, and it also helps perhaps audiences feel a bit more comfortable understanding this thing and talking about it. Yeah, because um, we're just here. We've all got human bodies, and the one thing I would say is that people who aren't transgender, I liken it to being like a fish in the fish bowl. If you were to interview a fish in the bowl and say, "What's water?" they'd say, "I have no idea. I'm just moving around this space here." Yeah. So when you're not transgender, you don't see what you are comfortable with. You no. don't see what gives you sustenance. Right. But as soon as it goes on, the fish is the first person to notice water when the, when the water level drops. But the last one to notice it when it's there, they never notice it. You never notice what you are unhappy with. Now, I'm not saying that people don't have body issues with their bodies and 
I know that society puts a lot of pressure on women to have body good body images and there's you know a lot of un- unreasonable expectations on women but being transgender is a different league again not only do you not like your body shape it's somewhere in you don't like it as as the completely wrong gender so it's a real confront again can we talk about the gender reassignment that's only been four months yeah four or five months i don't know how to ask this what what was it like having this done was it incredibly painful was there a lot of reconstruction so you have to meet certain many criteria first they'll just be quick about this but you have to get psychologists and psychiatry reports you really need to have been living as your preferred gender not legally necessarily but ideally for at least a year but the psychology and psychiatry reports will reveal that you need to demonstrate that you have sound mind that you're doing this independent free of will and the psychiatry and psychology reports are not just tick boxes they're genuine probing into your your experiences and your desires um, you need to have physical tests BMI body mass index has to be in the right level blood pressure and all that sort of stuff yeah um, and you get a lot of pre-examinations beforehand but the surgery itself I don't know I was asleep for but, um, <laughs> and afterwards afterwards um, oh sorry it's like it's like it's like medium level surgery you uh, you wake up and you I'm in some pain. I didn't experience much pain. But I'm, I don't know if the audience is comfortable listening to this, but I'll just give you a quick review. Obviously, there's, in many ways, the removal of the penis and testicles. Now, yeah. some men may be listening to this going, oh, my God, I can't believe that. <laughs> Toughen up. <laughs> yeah, they say, anyway, no, I'll say it later. Um, <laughs> you can say it. Well, you can cut it out. But they say grow some balls and toughen up. Yeah, I like saying should we grow a vagina? Those things can take a pounding. <laughs> yes, they can. <laughs> anyway, the removal of the male genitalia, but then they use some of the skin from those, those which are quite sensitive, to reconstruct the female genitalia. So it's not just the removal; there's a total reconstruction. If I may, I'm happy to share this. I decided not to have the construction of a vagina. Now, your audience might be thinking, what the hell did she do then? I had the construction of an external labia, which includes includes a labia majora um, and a small indentation and a clitoris and a Mm -hmm. clitoral hood. That's because I'm still interested in a relationship with women and I'm not interested in penetrative sex with men. Okay. I also just did it because there can be more risks of infections with the construction of a vagina and more maintenance of it and more, it's a harder surgery to recover from. So when you ask me how was the recovery, I say it wasn't that hard, but that's partly because I didn't have that second stage done. What is interesting is that they use the skin from the head of the penis to construct the clitoris. You know, in, in many ways, female genitalia and male genitalia are exact mirror images of each other, but just in different proportions. Okay. Although that being said, many people may not know this, but the clitoris is the only part of any male or female human body that purely exists for sexual pleasure. Is that right? Yeah. Interesting. And and, and the nerve concentration is double that of the, on the penis head. So women have the potential for much deeper and more profound orgasms. Sorry, guys. Lucky you. <laughs> Lucky you. But because I didn't have the construction of a vagina, I don't have the construction of the full clitoris, which, as you may know, we now know, 
goes deep inside the vagina and the vagina wall, yeah. and that's where the G-spot is. So if anyone, male or female, are looking for the G-spot in, into the vagina, then fing, finger up onto that sort of cavity, cavity area, yeah. and that, those, that muscle area is actually the inside of the, the continuation of the clitoris. This is a great sex education for a lot of people. It's, it's human. I love it. Now, may I tell you about the techniques, the, how I told my children that I was trying Yes, Yes, because that's one of my questions is how did you tell your children that you were transgender? That you well, I, only told, yeah, I only told my children once I decided to live full time. I kind of dropped hints at it for the couple of years before that when I was part time as Belinda when they weren't with me. And the hints were that I would talk a lot about how love is love and that you need to be true to yourself and it doesn't matter who you are, as long as you're happy. Male or female you can be, boys can be girls, girls can be boys, girls can love boys and boys can love girls and that's all good. As long as you're happy with yourself and share your beautifulness with the world, that's all that matters. I think that many of us, including me, and I say you have to be happy with yourself and Bill. I'd say a lot of the population go through life not being happy with themselves. So what you're teaching your children is such a positive, um, it's a positive lesson in life, you know. It's very... Well, I, I hope so. I hope it's a positive lesson um, for them. Um, but So I was kind of dropping, I was kind of telling them but not telling them um, for a long time. Then when I sat them down, I told my daughter, I told my son first, he was about nine... Uh, He's 14 now, so he was about 9 or 10. And I said that, you know, I'm dad, I'll always be your dad, I'll never want to stop being your dad, I'll always be there for you, I'll never leave you because I felt abandoned as a child. So making my children feel secure and safe yep. has always been a number one priority for me. I said, how, I said, however, I've got this side to myself which enjoys expressing itself as a female. And so from now on, I'm going to start living as that person, but my personality won't change I had done some re- a lot of research, actually, and I read some books, and they seem to show that kind of like with the divorce, children want to know three things. One, do you love them? Two, is this my fault? Three, can we still have fun? And I said to my kids clearly, I said, I still love you. I don't change my personality, and we can still have a lot of fun together. My mm-hmm. son pauses and thinks about it and says, okay, what's for dinner? That was his response to me being transgender. My <laughs> daughter was six. I told her the same thing. She looks surprised and goes, what? You've got dresses in the house and you're not telling me about them? She runs into my room, pulls out a, a dress of mine and goes, oh, Dad, you're going to look so beautiful in this dress. And, you know, oh. when I grow up and I've got boobs, I'm going to look beautiful too. Oh, that's a gorgeous story. And four or five years later, they still have absolutely no, it doesn't mean anything to them. The only thing they notice is that I'm happier, more comfortable and an easier parent to be with. Well, that, that's the, the most important thing, isn't it? Yeah, my, even my son, who's very much a boy, still says things like, oh, Dad, I like your dress. Or <laughs> and my daughter, my daughter has been stealing my makeup. Uh-huh. And so she was smashing the lipsticks on her face for a while, so I had to buy her some of her own. How do your children explain or amongst their own friends? Do they find it difficult or that it's just natural 
that you're who you are and they don't have to explain? They're, they're friends that really care. They've had friends of theirs come over to my place and their friends just like, look, if your dad's, don't care what your dad looks like, as long as he's going to make me some lunch when I'm hungry or <laughs> leave me and my leave me and my friend to play on their, you know, play together and then yep. make sure we're fed and watered and entertained. And they don't care. My daughter had three friends sleep over the other night and one of them had already slept over before, but I said to them towards the end of the evening, I said, look, guys, you know, I'm Eva's dad. I'm transgender. So if you don't mind, I'm just going to put my pyjamas on. I'm going to take my hair off. I might look a bit different, but I'm the same person. And, they, and my daughter said to her friends, yeah, that's just dad. He's crazy. <laughs> they don't say crazy in that transgender way. They just say he's, he's funny, crazy. I came out from getting changed and with my hair and makeup off, and they were like, oh, same person. We believe yeah. you. We're not not going to change your personality. And the kids these days, I live in a city, Melbourne, like in an urban. Um, and I can't speak about other suburbs, but where I live at least, families are very easygoing about this. We're very comfortable talking about these things. And I think it's testimony to these, my, these, these parents that, how can I say this safely, are happy for their children to have sleepovers at my place. Imagine 20 years ago, how many parents would have let their children sleep over at another child's house where the parent was transgender. Probably 20 years ago, people would have stared at you walking down the street, crossed the road to the other side, feeling like a bit of a leper. I am happy to say that, you know, I think there's been some positive changes in the world in accepting our unique, you know, differences, but we've still got a long way to go. What's your future goals? I actually, because of my Parkinson's and because of my transgender identity, I feel, I really feel I've reached a point of happiness in life. Maybe not even happiness. I'd call it more content, content with myself. Happiness Love is that fleeting. word, content. Happiness is fleeting. It comes and goes. Yep. Content is something that lasts. I often think to myself, there's three things that are important to me. One is love. So relationships with friends and family. Two is passion. And passion to me is the opposite of love. It's actually the absence of what's right in the world. Now, your passion might be gardening or cycling or, or writing or changing the world or environment or cleaning up the planet or anything. It doesn't have to be a big or small thing. It can just be anything. Something that drives you, something that wakes up in the morning and says, I want to do this, I'm annoyed about the world, or I love this and I want to share it with people. Thing that you want to move and motivate yourself and then the third thing is kind of the balance of those two which is gratitude now gratitude isn't isn't necessarily guilt because there's children in africa starving gratitude is also just gratitude for who you are it's taken me a long time but i actually now feel gratitude for everything that's happened to me in life i'm even now starting to come to a realization that i'm grateful for the childhood abuse i had not that i would wish it on anyone but i'm grateful that it gave, it taught me so much about how to be resilient and strong. I think who you are, you know, what you've gone through, you have to be grateful for that because it is what shaped you yes. to be the person you are today. And without I, those experiences, then you're not going to be the same, Belle. No, you're not. I'm not. I wouldn't be. And every time something horrible happens to me now, I say this is an opportunity to make myself stronger for the next hard thing. Parkinson's, there's nothing like a, jet, a, neuro, a gen, degenerative neurological disease to sharpen your thinking. And it yeah. makes me 
every day with gratitude and some sense of joy. And every day at some point I'll say, oh, I can't believe I made it. I made it out alive. I survived this horrible childhood. I really love your principles, that the love, passion and gratitude. And, and I think they're a lesson that we can all take away. Now, may I finish the story about my mum? Yes. But my mum was diagnosed with, with motor neuron disease about six years ago, mm-hmm. having survived bowel cancer and other cancers throughout her life. She was a tough woman. But more importantly, she started reforming herself. She took medicine. She went to a psychologist um, for her mental health problems, who was an amazing woman who was tough on my mum and really taught her some good stuff. And then before my mum passed away three years ago from motor neuron disease, she apologised to me for what she'd done. Oh, how amazing. And it wasn't just a deathbed apology. It was a, I'm really sorry, I, I stuffed up. I, I damaged you all and I know what I did now. I understand and I shouldn't have done it. And I feel I was out of my mind. I was out of control. I was a single mum. But there's no excuse for what she did to us. And my siblings never got that apology and I wish they had. But I was the only person on, on the planet that got they got that connection with her and that understanding. So my mum and I had, it was amazing. And she met me as Belinda for about three years. And she said, I always knew you were my daughter. I always knew you were different. Mm. And I did ask her, I said, would you have helped me if I told you I was transgender at the age of 10 or so? She said, of course. Now, I know that it's easy to say that in hindsight, but back in those times it was hard. So I don't know whether she would have helped or not, but she... She was a beautiful person. She was a, she's my hero, actually, because she, she's the only person I've ever met who can transform themselves so profoundly and redeem themselves so much through genuine desire to. So you've forgiven her for how she was. Absolutely. In your childhood. Absolutely. And I think sometimes forgiving someone helps you move forward as well. Yes. It's not just about forgiving her and, you know, I forgive you and, you know, that's okay, Mum. It's, yes. it's, it's something that you need in yourself. I'm starting to realise there's two things we want in the world. We either want peace or we want justice. But sometimes we want both, but often we can't get them both. Mm. I got peace with my mum, but I never got justice. I never got revenge. I never got her punished. I never got, she never really had to suffer as a result of what she did to her children. But I got peace with her. And I've realised in life, peace is better than justice. I know it's a hard one to save and some people can't accept that and I totally understand that and I don't try and tell people how to live. But given what I experienced at least, I was happy to get peace. What would you say, Belle, to your younger self? Every time I, you are, when you ask me that question, every time I ever get asked that, I almost burst into tears. It's such an important question. I think I would say, hold on hold on, little boy, it's going to be okay. You're going to make it out alive and the world will change and the world really will. And the world did. The world did. And also you will change. And the things that you see as insurmountable will change. I never thought my mother would change. I never thought she would even get anywhere near that, certainly not apologise. But I got that. And I love her so much. She lives in my heart every day of my life, my beautiful mum. And I say to myself, just hold on there. It'll be okay when I make it to my little self. I did a course, I'm always 
doing courses. <laughs> Learning from other people is so important to me because it helps me grow. And the other day it was I did a course on the inner child and, and also about sitting that person down on your knee in your imagination and, and having a chat and telling them it's okay. That inner child and that inner critic, they all come with you wherever you go. Yeah. They're never going to leave you through your whole life. So you may as well be kind to them. <laughs> I think it's very important what you're saying to your seven-year-old self, that little boy. But for younger generations, what advice would you give them? Live, live life healthy and full now. Don't, don't squander it. They say that being young is wasted on the youth. Now that I'm getting older, I totally I, I understand that. It's hard to tell people to live as if you've got a, a disease, but I, it's, that even though I would wish to get rid of Parkinson's every day of my life because of what it's doing to me, it's been a blessing as well. I wouldn't say it's, a, it's not a gift, but it's I've taken from it things. I've taken from it a deep sense of gratitude and a deep sense of living right now in the moment, not to squander it and to try and do something every day that fills you with meaning and love and excitement or interest yeah. and also challenge yourself. Um, I think that we live, you know, we live when you're young, you live as if life goes on forever. And I've never been told that as a kid and I thought I'll never get old, but sadly, we all do. Absolutely. I'm here. I'm almost 65, six months off, and I think, what happened? Where did that time go? But I wouldn't wouldn't pass on guilt to kids. I wouldn't say, oh, you should feel lucky you've got it this good and we had it so hard. I say the opposite. Particularly with the the LGBT queer movement. You know, some older people say to them, oh, we had it so much harder, you've, you've been raised in such comfortable times. No, I say the opposite. I say I'm happy that I had it hard so that you guys can have it easier. I don't want them to feel guilty. I want them to just, and also still fight, fight the good fight. We all need to fight it, no matter what age we are. I yeah. went to a, um, last year to a environment protest march and there was a lot of senior people. There was one one man that had a sign that really profoundly affected me. He said, grumpy old man on the couch fighting for climate change. And I thought, that was so beautiful. That was so beautiful. Well, you've certainly got some wisdom that you're sharing today and you're a very wise woman. I know that. Thank you, Karen. You are. I say it with heart. You are a very wise woman. I don't think I am because I can see how much I still need to change and grow. But that's life, Belle. We all need to change and grow. And even if you're 90, you need to change and grow. We can all change and grow. Yeah. Otherwise, we stop. if we stop learning and, and changing and growing, what, what are we just sitting idly waiting? Well, what advice do you give to people trying to understand the transgender experience? Um, I think most of us come from a position of difference. Now, I think that, you know, we have this cliche in our minds that the white, middle-aged, heterosexual male is the privileged person in society. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true. I think we all can have some understanding of what it's like to be different, whether it be we might be an introvert in ourselves and struggled because of that. We might have had some mental or physical health problems. We all know what it's like to be different. So I I don't want to be specific about transgender people, but I say... 
you know, we, we all understand difference and we all understand being an outsider in a sense. And look into yourself and see that outsider self and say, imagine how hard it would be if you were that outsider and you were, if you were that outsider or are that outsider and are struggling to have acceptance for who you are. Trans, to be specific now, transgender people don't want to steal your babies. We're not going to, the sky's not going to fall in, you know. We're not going to um, do strange things. And when it comes to going to the toilet in public places, honestly, I just want to go in there, keep my head down, do my business and get out. You know, I've, I've never said to people I want support or, or, or help being transgender. I just don't want roadblocks. Just mm. let, me, let me live. Don't, don't stop me, but don't, you don't have to do anything for me. Just treat me like normal. I'm just a, I'm just a normal person. So my, my personality hasn't changed. I'm still me. Well, I'm reading some of the things that you love to do here when it comes to exercise. What are some of the things you really enjoy? Well, exercise has become very important since my diagnosis. With Parkinson's is a, a, an exercise responsive. So that's not, a, that's not a good way to say it. Exercise is really good for people with Parkinson's. Diet is good and meditation, no smoking and alcohol. But really, exercise is a big thing. So since my diagnosis, I've been doing Pilates, yoga, Tai Chi, cycling, swimming, hiking, walking, Zumba. And you work. I work full time. And what, what do you do for a career? I'm in the communications and events area, but I actually work for a medical research institute Yes, called the Walter and Eliza Hall Institute. What it's does a, that institute study? We, do, we are doing some COVID research. We do infectious diseases. We also do cancer, malaria. We do some degenerative diseases like dementia and Parkinson's. Um, so we do a whole host of disease focus areas. Um, it's a huge place in Melbourne, great institute. A beautiful place to work, and I'm deeply proud to work there. And can I so, ask, are your colleagues, they accept you as Bell? Of course. Now, I, I started working there as Bell. I didn't transition within the job. I transitioned between jobs. So I started working there as Belinda, and I'm Belinda. I'm actually in an all-female team. Communications areas often are female-driven, so... Yeah, we, I must made a joke. <laughs> they said, we really should hire some more men. We're not discriminatory, of course, but we said, we really need to get some more men in this team. And I said, if you want, I'll flip back. <laughs> <laughs> That's very kind they, of you. <laughs> they, said, they, they said, we would never be able to say that. And I said, yeah, but I can because I'm transgender. Yeah. I said, you so, can't have the surgery. Too late. And they supported you, obviously, through the surgery and... Well, part of it's through COVID, so you probably weren't even in, in the office. And but My workplace actually allows a certain amount of time off paid leave just for gender transition. It doesn't come out of sick leave. It doesn't come out of annual leave. It's separate leave. We also have leave for Indigenous people, staff. You yeah. might want to take time off to go to smoking ceremonies or, or funerals and celebrations. It's an incredible place to work. Uh, very supportive, very supportive. Some flexibility around my hours and my my energy levels fluctuate so they know my team if if I make a meeting with them I'll say can we do it at this time because at that time of day I'm feeling pretty crappy so I work full time I've got my children half time and um, I get by what's one word if you can pull one out of the hat right now that would describe you resilient I love it sometimes I sorry I'll just say this quickly 
um, a Parkinson's neurologist researcher from the, the Netherlands once showed us at a conference this photo of a tractor that had four wheels, but one of the wheels was missing. And on the other side of the tractor from the wheel that was missing sat a very large woman. And he said, having Parkinson's is like being this tractor. You still move, you just got to balance things differently. Yeah. So you might have only one meal missing and without that person, that large woman, the weight distribution would be wrong. But with Parkinson's, you just get by. People say to me, how do you do it, Belinda? How do you do all these things and just never stop? And I say, I have to. I've got two kids. I need to be alive for them. Yeah. I need to be healthy for them. I need to live for myself. This is the only life we've got, people. You know, We all know this, but we never get another chance at this. You're a long time in the ground. Yeah, you are. So to the very resilient Belle, Belinda Zipper, I thank you enormously for coming on the Aging Fearlessly program today and sharing your story and helping to educate my listeners on a journey that's an unusual journey and a very important journey. So I wish you well for the end of this year and for the future. It's been the crazy COVID year that we've, I don't know, it's just like we've all been sitting in limbo, but you've been very busy through your COVID year. It's great to get to know you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Karen. It's been such a privilege and honour to be invited onto your show today. I get all teary when <laughs> I often do this. At the end of, my program. of course. I, I, I love your story. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for sharing your experience as well. So, everyone, that's the end for today. Belinda Zipper from Melbourne, thanks again for joining us. Thank you. So this is it for today's program. It's time to say cheerio to the wonderful Northern Beaches community. Join me next week for another episode of Aging Fearlessly. And now for a song written by Nick Howard, especially for the listeners. This is Karen Sander. Have a fantastic week. And remember, ageing is inevitable and growing old is a choice. The sun is shining bright outside. There's a sparkle in your eye. It's not all nine to five. It's a wonderful Go and climb mountains high Swim across oceans wide Live out our dreams Just you and me Let your heart be alive There's no time to waste Gotta go get the most out of This treasure that you've got to find, baby, don't be shy. Let's go and take that ride. Taste the sweet and the spice, everything nice. Let your heart be alive, baby, just let your heart come alive, honey. Let your heart be alive.